What is up, friends? Welcome to a new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. You can find us on the Twitters at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr and Zanga and MySpace and some of the things I just listed. Did you have a Zanga back in the day? <laughs> and can I find it and go read about the Seattle Seahawks and whatever <laughs> picture of, of whatever random reliever you were keeping in your pocket? Octavio Dotel. That's no, right. Uh, no, Zanka was earlier, wasn't it? Because Facebook was like 2006, seven. Uh, that was like right at the end of high school, I think. Um, I, remember, yeah, I remember having to wait for Facebook to actually open up services at Mount Union College because you couldn't log in unless the mm. school that you went to was on their list of schools that they supported. And it was such a big deal. The first week Facebook began. This shows you how old I am. The first week that Facebook Facebook began, you could input what classes you were in, um, and you could see other people that were in the same classes as you. And this is a social networking site that is supposed to let you get out and meet new people. And the first week that bad boy was open at Mount Union College, you better believe that nobody left their dorm room or their room or did anything except just surf that website i can still remember that first week it's like no one no one left to go to class or anything they just wanted to be on the facebooks boy oh boy no, how far things have I, come. I never had a zanga i never was like a a diary type person how about you well unless you were following a double header then you were pretty good at keeping a diary Ah, uh, yeah yeah uh you never know when because during a doubleheader, there's always a point in the day when things get batshit crazy. So it was always fun to document it. You did that from time to time, right? Yeah, I think we both did a couple of those over the years. The one that I did was when we had to document Evan Marshall coming in, like, airlift in a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Not quite that bad. I think it was an Uber he had to take from somewhere in the middle of the game because somebody got hurt and they had to call him up randomly. And this was yeah. this was in the – I don't remember. Was it a – I don't think it was a traditional doubleheader. It might have been a day-nighter. I can't remember, but it was a wild, Didn't one go, wild day. One of them went extra innings, and one of them was like... It was against Toronto, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and this is... It was days after Evan Marshall's son had been born, and I don't think he had even seen his kid yet because he had to shuttle from one place to another, and he was expecting to get to spend some time with his family and then had to turn right around after saying hello to his child. And then Okay, so I found it. So it was May 3rd, 2018, and I think I was traveling the very next morning, so I left. Game one started at 3 p.m., and it went f- almost five hours because it went to 11 innings. It was 9 to 9 going into extras, and uh, Toronto won 13 to 11. And so you had that, and then the next game didn't start till 8.30 p.m. in Cleveland, and the Indians won 13-4. to They had a seven-run inning in the first game and a nine-run inning in the second game. But that game took three hours and 11 minutes. So you're, I mean, you've got two games combining for eight hours back-to-back. <laughs> back. Yeah, I think I, I just filed mess. that story last week after going over the 8,000 words <laughs> of chronicling that day. What a weird-ass day that was, but it was fun. Yeah, the Indians used seven pitchers in the first game. Yeah. Now, now I, the one that I remember you doing, a, a, a diary of a doubleheader, was a, about one in Detroit, and you were just chronicling the guy sleeping in the press box. <laughs> that, was, that was how exciting your game was. Meanwhile, we've got players coming in, random Ubers, not even knowing if they're going to be the, 
in, in uniform for these games. And I'm talking to poor Evan after the game, and you know, as, as fans know, he's he's built a nice little career for himself now in Chicago. But he's still, and you wrote about him so terrifically. Everything that he's gone through in his life is just wild. So if you want to give that plug uh, and pick up some some random subscribers, I'll let you do it. But. Uh, <laughs> I remember well, talking had... to him after the game, and he was so delirious. Like, I, he, he barely even knew where he was. His day was just so wild to be able to get there for the, for the end of that game, not even knowing that he was going to be there. So I think all relievers who have options kind of pound it through their own head that that's sort of the lifestyle you have to be accustomed to. I mean, you're, you're going to be shuttled back, back and forth between AAA because teams need pitchers. And if you have options... You're expendable, and they can bring you back 10 days later. So, yeah, I, I think the fact that he had been through so much, he was hit by a line drive in a game in the minors, and it uh, cracked his skull. He had to go uh, undergo surgery immediately, and doctors initially did not think it was going to be successful. Um, he was able to, to make it back, a long, arduous recovery process. And I think a lot of that... You know, as you said, like, they had just had a baby. Like, your whole life is a whirlwind. So I think maybe that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but that, that is certainly... I think when a team scripts, like, what would be the worst-case scenario for the first game of a doubleheader? And especially because there was not much time in between those two games, and you went five hours in game one. Like, if you use seven pitchers in the first game... That's about as bad as it gets because you only have a couple left for the nightcap. And that was during a stretch where like 42 members of the team and there's not even that many people, but somehow they found that many new fathers. <laughs> they were all going yeah. on the paternity list. Like, there was a stretch of a month period where he, uh, Evan Marshall had a, a son and uh, Nick Goody and Tyler Olson, like half the bullpen were having children. There were a couple other ones. Maybe so. Andrew Miller? Uh, maybe, yeah, I think you're right. And so there was like stretches. Dan Otero. Yeah, they just everyone's bye. We're just gonna go have a baby. We'll be we'll be back in three days because that's you know, that's all the time a dad needs to spend with his child. <laughs> three days, and we're right back to it. But just uh, as a, a word of advice, I think you're probably uh, you're you're almost safe now. But just uh, well, it depends on if they push back this season. But you know, if you're thinking about having some fun. Just project that ahead. Nine months, that might be where the World Series is. I'm just saying, just keep that in mind as you might be having a date night or anything else might be taking place. Well, Valentine's Day is coming up. That's right. But also, so so in that nightcap, the Indians only needed two relievers. Evan Marshall went first. Can you name the pitcher who closed out that game? No, of course I can't. If I could, you would have some serious, serious problems. No, I can't. I don't know. So that was the year of, like, the bullpen was a disaster. You had Alexi Agondo, who seems to get a shout-out on this podcast every episode. It was Jeff Beliveau. Remember him? Oh, yeah, that's right. Unlikely hero. Wow. Yeah. Uh, crazy, crazy. Well, we'll get to some bullpen stuff coming up in, in just a minute because we do have some bullpen news to touch on, and this is not going to be all reminiscing and talking about timing when your children are going to be born i swear we do have some shout outs to the to toss your way thanks to a number of people that left us some five-star reviews over at apple podcasts and i'm getting out of the the habit of doing it at the end when nobody's listening 
I'm going to do that at the beginning. Make sure you get your shout out. So Geofrio left us a nice five-star review. Says, I can really relate to this show. They're fair and critical. If you're a fan of the Indians, this is a must-listen. Zach and the other guy are great. Oh, okay. A realistic <laughs> view on the state of the Indians from two guys who have the background to support it. My favorite Indians podcast doer. Thank you, Sean Olds. And I do also want to give a quick shout-out to a new supporter who traveled over to anchor.fm. You can find the, the link over on our Twitter. It's in the, the pinned tweet right at the top. If you want to help support the podcast, Mike R. became a supporter of the podcast to keep this bad boy rolling every single week. So thank you to Mike R. for your support. We do appreciate it. Yeah, and remember the rule. If you leave us a five-star review and you find us in a ballpark or even, you know, just out, we owe you a beer. So take us up on it. <laughs> if you ever see any of us at a ballpark ever again. Yeah. Speaking of seeing people at the ballpark, someone that we won't be seeing at the ballpark now is uh, a, a friend of, of both of ours, at least I know for me, has uh, been a welcome sight whenever I see him around the ballpark and uh, recently passed is Les Levine. Everyone that, that listens to Cleveland Sports Radio or, or television or you know has, has read any sort of sports in the... The newspaper over the last uh, 20 years or so probably is, is familiar with Les. Of, he was, of course, very entertaining to listen to, super funny guy, very witty. Always had the, the how-come-quickies, the one-liners, the zingers, which were terrific. Anytime you saw him, he had something in his back pocket to share. But I also want to share just my thoughts on him as a human being. It was terrific to get to know Les just a little bit, working with him and, and even when I wasn't working alongside him at the fan, he was someone that no matter how busy the press conference got, he would be sure to give you a, a hat tip, a, a quick hello, a nod, something to acknowledge your existence. And there were a number of times even just coming up in this business and you think, you know, who am I? I'm just some random guy. These people have been doing these things for 15, 20 years and sometimes even longer. And, and Les never made you feel like that. You know, he was someone that made you feel appreciated and, and, and he wanted to talk to you, wanted to get your opinion on things. He was such a man of the people, and we're going to miss him here. So I just wanted to give a quick couple of thoughts and let his family know that, that we're thinking of them and, and, of course, wanted to share some experiences of just having the honor of, of being around him, even for a little bit here uh, at, the, at the, the end of his life. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I, I always go back to is... I remember, I want to say it was probably 2014, 2015, and he would, he would occasionally show up. I feel like he was at a lot of day games at Progressive Field in the press box, and he'd sit in a row with, like, it would always be like Jim Ingram, Bud Shaw, Les Levine, and I'll never forget the time Les and I exchanged phone numbers, and he asked me to start appearing on his show, and that I just remember that day because it it meant it like it was the first time I felt like like I, I made it or like I was I had achieved something because I remember being a kid watching more sports than Les Levine or you'd hear him on the radio you'd see him on TV you'd read his columns and it's like the guy was good at everything and so many sports writers I think you can describe as curmudgeons, especially as they get older and they become more, I don't know, negative is a simple term, but jaded. you just, 
Yeah, jaded. And he was never that. You know, he was always just like a beacon of light in an industry and with a group of people who often dwell on the negatives. And so it was always refreshing when he was in the room. And, you know, he was, he never took himself too seriously. He's always cracking jokes. He loved wordplay more than anybody. And there are a lot of media members who love puns and play on words, but that guy was the ultimate. And the How Come Quickie segments he did were, that highlighted it better than anything. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough loss. But I, I also think, you know, you look around on social media or you listen to the radio and everybody has stories and everybody has just so much to say about him, all of it so positive. We all should hope that one day when we pass, people have the same reaction um, because it's the guy was the ultimate and you're seeing it in, in everything everyone has to say this week. Yeah, it, it's pretty rare too that if you do you you spend enough time in this business and you do get as I said jaded to a lot of different things and some of that too is, is sports talk. It's not a lot of times that you want to flip on and listen to sports talk, particularly when they're talking about it like in in, in your position and in my position to sit down and listen to Indians talk, it's tough because we, we know a lot about this topic. So it's when you're listening to sports talk and other people talk sport, you're not necessarily going to learn a ton necessarily, but you're just looking for entertainment. And he is somebody that every time he was on the radio, I made sure I was listening. Uh, someone that always, as you said, had a witty story or, or something funny to add. It was just good, entertaining radio. And as, as radio has changed... I think he adapted where he needed to, but he also kept his foot in the past a bit to keep that almost refreshing perspective of what sports talk also once was. And it was it was a cool dynamic to listen to him do a sports show because it wasn't just hot take, hot take, tease, hot take, hot take, tease, mm -hmm. hot take. It was, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's sit down and, and discuss this one topic and let's do this for several hours. And when he would talk to listeners sometimes get a sense of the host it's just filling time by taking calls and anybody that's been in that chair long enough knows you're going to run through some of that in your life you're going to need to take some calls to get through a, a segment uh, or to find the energy to to make it through a four-hour show but he is somebody that when he went to the phones it wasn't a crutch he wanted to talk to people he wanted to get an opinion he wanted to be a voice of the fans and he also wanted to give a voice to the fans and that's also something i really enjoyed about his show. He never talked down to people. And while he, he may have disagreed with you and may have had a, a healthy conversation based on the disagreement, he never looked at you like, no, you're stupid and dismissive. He was someone that always was willing to give you your, your take, your side. And then he would have some sort of rebuttal. And then he would probably leave you on something comedic to have you laughing for the rest of your day. I had to enjoy one thing I saw. I believe it was Anthony Lima retweeted one of, one of Les's recent tweets, which was, if it is the Cleveland Spiders, they'll have a heck of a website. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just Les. That's, that's terrific. He made listeners feel important or like they're on the same level. And I think a lot of radio people and even podcast people um, forget to do that. And... You're right. Like so much of radio or podcasts, we're guilty of this too. We, something frustrates us or we can't make sense of it or we think a team is 
doing something wrong or screwing over the fans and we just harp on it and harp on it and we get angry and we yell and Les just had this calming nature that reminded you that, yeah, we can get emotional about this and we can have reactions and we can have opinions, but at the end of the day, it's sports. It's like, it's not, it's not something that is life and death. And I think we all are guilty of losing sight of that from time to time. From someone that seems pretty universally loved and will be missed to someone that fans didn't ever want to see again. Oh no. And he's back, at least in a, on a minor league deal. And we try to make it a little bit of comedic relief there, just in honor of Les. But it, we're talking about Brian Shaw, who is back <laughs> on a minor league deal. Um, and I felt bad for your mentions when, when you tweeted out that Brian Shaw was, was coming back to Cleveland on a minor league deal with a, an invite to, to big league camp. So it's not a guaranteed spot, but I think a lot of people saw Brian Shaw, thought of who was the manager, thought of how the manager had used Brian Shaw when he was in Cleveland, and then <laughs> pretty much thought, Brian Shaw's on the team, and oh no, this is going to be horrific. But to be honest, if I'm a general manager, and we can talk to a couple of the, actually looks like maybe three Indians relief uh, signings on minor league deals that were happening this week, two that the team has acknowledged, one we're still waiting on. But if I'm a general manager, every reliever that I can get on a minor league deal, I am all about it. I am catching those things. Like I told you, I am catching those things like they are Weedles and Pidgeys <laughs> in my first 10 minutes of playing Pokemon Red. My whole Pokedex is going to be full of those. And I'm going to see which one eventually evolves to Pidgeotto. I want to see if Brian Shaw can become Pidgeotto again. If that's a thing. I don't know if it's a thing. Whatever. Yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> Twitter was fun last night after that story broke. Um, I, I read through every single one of my mentions because I'm a masochist. And I got so many gifts from the office. And I wanted to share a few. I had more than a double-digit number of Michael Scott doing the no, no, no when Toby returns to the office. Um, I had a couple of... That just feels so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is the, that's the feeling. Had a couple of the Michael Scott, I am ready to get hurt again. Had a, a few of the Michael Scott, nope, don't like that. Had a few of the Michael Scott, this is the worst. And had some of the Kevin uh, saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, so it, it was funny. I, look. I got confirmation. I sat on this for almost a week because I was so scared. Because I knew what the mentions were going to be. And I wanted to get so many different confirmations because you like this is not something I wanted to get wrong. I did not want fans to freak out and get pissed off. And um, then it's like, oh, actually, it fell through. They were just talking. So I was pretty careful with this. And... Um, which seems so ridiculous for a minor league signing, but when I you're know, talking but about it's, it's Brian just, Shaw what? and what he was during his career and how things ended, no, it makes sense. So, so I think we can sum this up quickly. And it, it brought me back because my first ever piece for The Athletic was literally titled, Cleveland Fans Hate Me. Brian Shaw is the, quote, pariah of Cleveland. Um, and look, for five years, he was really good in Cleveland. He was a really good reliever. You cannot dispute that. The numbers say it. And 
I think it's like the offensive lineman. It's like like an umpire. It's like you only notice when he screws up. And for five years, from 2013 to 17, he made more appearances than anybody in the majors. He was as durable and reliable as it gets. And he, those are qualities that are so valuable to have in your bullpen. I don't know that the Indians have anyone like that now. Maybe Nick Wickren, but I don't know that he's as, like, he's not making 80 appearances. He had a 311 ERA. Like, he, he didn't, yeah, he didn't give up that many runs. Like, he didn't give up home runs ever. I saw people that say, like, he was a launching pad. No, he never gave up home <laughs> runs. In 2013, he gave up four in 75 innings. The most he gave up in a season in Cleveland was eight. Like, that's, he has a really good home run rate. He kept the ball on the ground. He didn't walk a ton of guys. Like, he was really good. Let me also say, though, that when a pitcher pitches in high-leverage situations and pitches a ton... They're going to have a lot of really good appearances, and they're going to have more bad appearances that you remember. So it, it's not a surprise that people's patience wore thin with him and hit a crescendo in the World Series when he gave he was the losing pitcher. Um, so I get it. I get some of the frustration. I get that he's a punching bag. Did he deserve all the animosity? No. But there's always there are always players who that is the case for them. And clearly, after four years, that hasn't worn off. Like, I think there are some players who weren't very good and 20 years passes and they come back and you give them a standing ovation and you say, you know what, maybe we didn't appreciate him when he was here. I don't know that that's going to be Shaw. It doesn't seem like it based on um, the Twitter mentions. But we can also say that he went to Colorado on a three-year, $27 million contract and was absolute dog shit. So, I mean, he had a 561 ERA uh, gave up a ton of hits. The home run rate went way up, which also a product of course Field. Um, so I don't know that he has anything left in the tank. I had heard that he's worked on some things and feels much better than he did the last couple years. You obviously trust Cleveland's pitching staff and Brian Sweeney and Ruben Niebla um, and, and Carl Willis more than you trust Colorado. And he spent last year with Seattle where he was just lit up in six appearances. I don't know if he's got anything left. Um, and the toughest part about it is that in spring training, when he was with Cleveland, he sucked every spring. His ERA was 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he made a joke of it by the end. He's yeah. like, hey, you guys know I'm going to be shitty in spring training. And when the regular season starts, things will be fine. So if you were a little nervous about Tito just handing him a job because he's Brian Shaw and they're buddies and they play cribbage together, well, it's going to be even more complicated <laughs> because this guy has never been good in Arizona. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't no, know what I, to make of it. I, I, I get that. And I, I tweeted out the, the friends gif about, okay, let's, <laughs> let's calm down on every minor league signing. It feels like it's always the same. Oh my God. And I'm always like, well, hold on. You're talking about someone that you have no risk tied to. And if he's got something left, then fine. If otherwise you can cut him within, I mean, but you cut him at the end of spring, you could cut him couple weeks into the season you can cut him whatever and you don't have really any huge financial commitments to the guy so I, I i rarely ever get the the up in arms nature that gets tied to minor league signings but somebody tweeted yeah hey there have been a number of times we've seen tito go to veteran guys and leave somebody that has some upside either a triple a or planted with their tushy on the bench and i get that but we're also talking about relievers and as i said Give me as many of those guys as I can get on non-roster invites because relievers are so... You can't ever project what some of those guys in the middle are going to do. And heck, 
even some of the guys that are elite just fall off a cliff very, very quickly. I mean, look at Los Angeles and the shifting they've had to do in their bullpen with a guy that everyone, what, two, three years ago thought Kenley Jansen was the best reliever in baseball. Um, certainly, if you go back to when the Indians traded for Andrew Miller, it was like those guys are one and two, and now they can't even pitch that guy. So crazy things happen with relievers. Some Sometimes they find it. Sometimes they lose it for a few years. Maybe in this case, Colorado screwed with him, and he's able to get back and be a durable guy that not necessarily pitching in the eighth and ninth inning, but can help you out in the sixth and maybe into the seventh inning and can face a couple of right-handed batters when you need him to. I'm willing to take that shot on a guy like, like Shaw, even if it's somebody that Tito has in the past relied on and been okay with. Because I also don't think, if you're talking about everyday players, yes, we can see guys get run out there and get 300 at-bats, 350, 400 at-bats when they probably shouldn't, or there's somebody else that has some upside that I would like to see instead. With a reliever, I don't think Tito's just going to keep running him out there if he's given up home runs in seven consecutive outings. I don't think that's going to be the case. If if Brian Shaw can't pitch anymore, I don't think you have to worry about Tito running him out there every single night. Where This is not the same Brian Shaw that he was committed to where he thought was going to get back to being that reliable, not elite, but really good relief arm that every team that's going to be good needs in their bullpen. This is not the same guy, and, and I think Tito's going to acknowledge that and then see what ends up happening based on his the way that he ends up pitching. And that's even if he gets an opportunity at all. I think it's important to look at the landscape of the bullpen, too. Um, you know you're going to have Karinchek, Wittgren, Klasse, and Maton. Trevor S- Steffen is a Rule 5 guy, so I would think he would make it. Um, that's five. You need a lefty, so let's go Kyle Nelson, I guess. That's six. Although, I, you know what? Let me back up. I, I think the first four... I think the first four guys are pretty much etched into stone. Goes. <laughs> Who knows? Then you've got four spots, and you've got Ghost, Stefan, Kyle Nelson, Cam Hill. Cam Hill, if he's healthy. I know he had that car accident. If he's healthy, I would think he'd be in there. The issue is, you've got all these starting pitchers. They have so many freaking starting pitchers on the 40-man roster. So if you have Bieber, Plesak, Savali, and then some combination of Quantrill, McKenzie, Plutko... Logan Allen, Scott Moss, like, I wouldn't be shocked if one of those guys, maybe Allen or Moss, wound up in the bullpen. Maybe Plutko winds up in the bullpen because you want to piggyback McKenzie or Quantrill because yeah. they're probably not ready to throw 200 innings. So, like, what there are openings. They have an expanded roster again this year, too, by the way. Yeah, so I think there's going to be 13 pitchers, but I think there are a lot of ways they could take this. And... I would say, I mean, if we're talking Shaw, Hembry, and DJ Johnson, I think there's room for one of them at most, is my guess. So, I, who do you, it's like, who do you don't, it's not even necessarily who you have to be better than in spring training. Yeah. I think it's almost more, how do they want to work this based on, do you need a left-handed reliever like Nelson or Ghost? Do you, or would you use Allen or Moss in that role? Do you want a couple starters in the bullpen to protect your starting pitchers early in the season? I think that's going to have a pretty big effect on on these non-roster guys. Yeah, well, and the other thing too, in a in a normal year, you're going to run through relievers. I mean, we talked, we began the show talking about the life of reliever and got guys with options get shuttled up and down, and that's just in a normal year that you're you're not coming off of a shortened year where guys haven't thrown a ton of pitches. 
Um, you know, we don't exactly know for sure when the season is going to start, if it's really going to be delayed. I mean, I, I feel like everything's still up in the air, no matter what both sides are saying. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and a lot of names you're going to have to, to shift through and in innings you're going to have to get from people that if you were just to rank your, your top 12 arms might not be in that top 12, but you're going to have some injuries. You're going to need to send guys up and down. You're going to have to cut back on some innings and be smart with some guys, maybe even early in the season. So you're going to need a ton of arms. And so if you have to start the year by building some depth, by bringing in some, some guys that either have some intriguing upside. And I guess maybe you say Embry has that. I mean, he's, he's an older guy. He's been around for a while and has been a serviceable arm in the bullpen, but is also someone that has elite fastball spin, pretty good curveball spin, uh, has an ability to miss some bats. And so maybe you think that guy has some, some intriguing upside. If you work with, you know, work, have him work with your, your, your pitching coordinators and your staff, and you're able to find some way to unlock even more than he's been. Yeah. I, I'm okay with just adding to that pile as much as possible before spring training begins, because I'm familiar with it, you know it, and anyone that has any sort of inkling how baseball goes knows you're going to have to cycle through a ton of those guys. So fine, go with, with Brian Shaw, because he has some, some linking to this organization, to Tito, so he picks you out of all the other teams that could probably use his services. So use that to your advantage. And if he sucks, then cut him. I don't think they're going to have any desire to just hand him a spot based on what he was three years ago because they're not they're not blind to what happened last year in Colorado and uh, Seattle I think he went to Seattle and just mm -hmm. got bombed there too I mean if that continues they're not going to keep running him out there I'm not that concerned about it give, give me again I'm a GM add to the pile give me as many non-roster relievers as I can heading into spring training and it's up to my my manager and the staff, and we'll try to pick out which ones are best for, for opening day and, and, and try to keep some depth there because you're going to have to cycle through a ton of them. Yeah, there aren't many relievers on the 40-man. Like guys like, like a Nick Sandlin who could very well um, make his debut in 2021. He's not on the 40-man. So there's not a ton of – there aren't a ton of internal candidates who are – you're more likely to like have that spring training that turns heads and make the team if you're already on the 40 man and they just don't they, they're loaded with starting pitchers they don't have the relievers who are ready so um, i just i just think you're going to need all of them i think you're going to need all the arms you can get in 2021 based on no one has the 200 innings to work from from last year or relievers haven't mm -hmm. you know starters were throwing 80 innings last year typically that's reserved for for the relievers so I, I just think you're going to need the depth. It, it is somewhat funny, though, and it calls to, to mind the quote from, from The Dark Knight about you know the, the hero parting on his own terms and leaving the hero or staying long enough to become the villain. And that's, like, that's the life of a reliever. How many times do you see this marriage end where he does, the reliever doesn't leave town being the most hated guy ever? When they first burst onto the scene, like I think about it, Chris Perez several years ago, before he was the closer, everyone wanted Chris Perez to be the closer. And then he became the closer, and he blew some games. Everyone wants this jerk out of town. Cody it's like Allen. quarterbacks. Kelly yeah. Holcomb. <laughs> Cody Allen comes up. Fireman extraordinaire. You gave him a shitty nickname. He hated it. And <laughs> <laughs> he's 
he's awesome, right? Everyone loves Cody Allen. Get that guy in high leverage. Get that guy into the closer role. And then he comes in, blows some games. He's the all-time leader in saves. This guy sucks. Get him out of here. Even Andrew Miller, I mean, comes in 2016. Toronto fans are, are dubbing him the angel of death for what he does in the ALCS. The guy's incredible. He pitches his arm basically off. Um, and by the time his career in Cleveland comes to end, he's not that highly coveted to be on the mound. You know, fans are okay with him leaving. How many times does a reliever just leave and the fans are like, no, come back, we want you. It's so rare. Yeah, that's why you got to keep James Karinchek in that fire mineral and not uh, <laughs> pigeonhole him into the ninth inning. Right. Of course, uh, gives up a grand slam to Gio Urshela and probably already people do hate him. They do need to, they do have too much clutter. I'm looking at the 40-man roster and like you have five Five starting pitchers who I don't think will sniff the opening day roster. Sam Hentges, John Carlos Mejia, Carlos Vargas, Jordan Humphreys, and Eli Morgan. That's one-eighth of your 40-man roster that's like not even in consideration. And let me do, let me put a little disclaimer. Sam Hentges could be like the most fascinating reliever ever because he's six foot eight. Supposedly throws really hard now, left-hander. Um, and like that sounds like Andrew Miller, but I don't know that they're thinking that yet. And then that doesn't even include the fact that you have eight other starting pitchers and you're going to choose five of them and maybe stick one or two in the bullpen. Like, it's, that's a lot of players. And yeah. So they're going to have to make some moves. And they don't, there just aren't a lot of expendable, like, Bo Taylor is probably expendable on the 40-man roster, although, like, you need a third catcher usually at some point in the season. So, but other than that, like, there aren't really a lot of uh, expendable spots. True, but how often do you make it to, through spring training without a guy having his elbow barking or... Somebody needing to go on the 60-day DL. I think you could probably find a couple of spots, even if you have to finagle it a little bit. Yeah, but they might need more than a couple. No, we'll see what ends up happening. But wouldn't you just like to have the option to know? Of course. I'm, I'm not saying they need to trade all these people now. I'm just saying it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, if you want Anthony Ghost and Brian Shaw on the roster and, yeah. I don't know, and Heath Hembree, like, you're going to have to cut some guys that are pretty valuable or that you internally value. Yeah. Hey, I, I get it. But like I said, add to the pile and figure that out later. And that would be my, my way of remedying it. Just Easy always, for you to say. Always just kick the can down the road. <laughs> That'll make it a bigger problem. Hell, that's every show I ever watch is like, hey, let's fix this one problem that the next season will become this giant problem because we ignore this <laughs> other thing. Okay, well, as I almost get through season seven of Game of Thrones, I'm waiting for the army of dead, the dead to finally arrive. It's been teased since like the first episode, but I'm waiting on it. It's going to come eventually. I've been told I used to look like King Joffrey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm trying to decide which of you is worse, though. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, is it too early to sort of maybe kind of project what a lineup like, might look like? For this team? Um, well, I can pretty much recite word for word what Tito would say to that question. Oh. Um, oh, we don't need to make out our opening day lineup uh, <laughs> on February. What day is it? Um, hey, Bart. No, nah, of course. Let's go. What do you got? Well, of course, we're going to roll with um, Oscar Mercado in the leadoff spot. No, wait, this isn't a month ago. This isn't your projections the last time you did this. Hmm. It does look a lot different when you add Cesar Hernandez and Eddie Rosario. Hey, I'm not going to say that that looks like a top 10 lineup to me because uh, it doesn't. 
And my feelings haven't changed too much on what this team ultimately is, a team that can contend a bit and be uh, a team that is over 500, if not slightly over 500. Yeah, but imagine if we knew how many playoff teams there would be. Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, definitely not an elite team, definitely not a team that I would consider uh, a strong or really legitimate World Series contender. But when you add Hernandez and Rosario, it at least looks like a competent Major League lineup now. Instead of needing three guys to step up out of nowhere, yeah, maybe now you need one. You know, maybe maybe it, whether that's Daniel Johnson or Bradley Zimmer or Mercado, or you get one of one of the list of guys that we've you know talked about for several episodes now. Guys that you need answers on. You need one of those guys to step up, and if you get one of them, then that lineup looks even that much better. But is there any reason? to go with anyone other than Cesar Hernandez in the leadoff spot on opening day? No. A switch hitter, good contact hitter in his career, draws a decent amount of walks. That's as good as he got for that role. In fact, I think we can probably agree on the top four here, right? Hmm. Can we now? Well, who's the slap-hitting uh, contact guy you're going to put in the two-hole? Because that's what I was told you got to do there. Hmm. Uh... I don't think it makes any sense to go with anyone other than Jose Ramirez in the two spot, right? He's the one you want to get up with Hernandez on base. You want to get him as many at-bats with somebody on base as possible. If you start shifting him down to the three or four spot because, oh, we need to lengthen the lineup or whatever, then he's going to lose plate appearances throughout the year, and it's not like you don't have anybody to get on base in front of him. Hernandez proved you know, he can get on base at, at worst, what, 34 35% of the time? That's fine. So, yeah, those two, top two. Your turn. Three spots, all yours. Well, I'm going to go with Mike Freeman, who the club uh, <laughs> has signed to a, re-signed to a minor league deal. Um, <laughs> something's never changed. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, it's got to be Eddie Rosario to me. Um, I th- part of it is related to how I think the lineup might look, the rest of the lineup that we haven't gotten to yet. But yeah. also, look, for as, it's a lot of balls in play, the first three guys in the lineup. That's a good thing. And for as wild a swinger as he is, where as long as the pitch is in the same zip code as he is standing, he'll swing. Um, he doesn't strike out much. He's the, In 2018 and 20, or, or the last two seasons, he's been in the 85th and 89th percentile in strikeout rates. So he's one of the toughest hitters to strike out in baseball, which is weird because he also never walks. Yeah. Um, it's a ball very, is going uh, in play. Right? Yeah, <laughs> feel pretty good about that. It's a very odd profile, but I like that, and I think that's a great profile to have. If you assume, you know, Jose Ramirez is going to be on base a lot, and Cesar Hernandez should be on base a decent amount, I think that's a good guy to hit third. Um, and especially because I think Naylor's going to be somewhere up here. I yeah. probably don't want them hitting back to back. So. I would go Rosario third. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense just from a, a lineup balance standpoint. You can go switch, switch left, and then the guy that I assume we're both going to say goes into the cleanup spot hits right-handed in Fran Mel Reyes. So if in that's Austin the case, Hedges? Oh, wait, what? Uh, so if that's the case, now you've, you've maintained some balance, and you can pretty much rotate the rest of the lineup that way, and depending on whether Jimenez is playing shortstop or Rosario is playing shortstop. But if you can keep the, the top of the lineup separated, we know... Terry Francona is going to be pleased with that. The only thing that I would be trying to consider is, can I get somebody that has a little bit better on base ability in front of Franmil 
so you don't have as many chances with fraud mail coming up with nobody on base. But I don't think... That'd be great, but I don't think it exists. Right, I don't think there's anybody that... I mean, you you could... If you had another Cesar Hernandez, he would probably make a lot of sense in the three-hole because he'd be behind Ramirez and make a lot of contact and be a switch hitter. But I don't think they have that perfect guy, and I'm not going to overthink it. Is Eddie Rosario a great offensive player? No. Is he solid enough? He's, you know, to be uh, somewhere between 8 to 10% above average, probably at his floor. Right. Yeah, I think so. So I'm not going to overthink it and, and get too wild here. So Hernandez, Plus in, in, Ramirez, Rosario, Reyes. Yeah. It's, okay. It's a fine top four. Not great, but it's it'll work. You'll have that guy in a year or two. I mean, Tyler Freeman is going to be the leadoff hitter at some point, and he'll yeah. hit, you know. 298 with a 360 on base and 25 stolen bases. So, yeah, uh, you just got to be patient. So, fifth, this is where it gets messy, right? I think my answer would be Josh Naylor because I think he's going to play most days. Um, I don't know he where. Should. Yeah, he, it could be. You acquire him in that Clevenger trade, you better play the hell out of him. Could be corner outfield, could be first base. I This is a mess. I started to do my next roster projection and Rosario complicates things. This is what we talked about where it's like Rosario is a welcome addition. He makes this team better, but it gets complicated and somebody's going to lose out on a chance, at least initially to prove that they belong. And so if you think about, okay, Rosario's in left, Reyes is your DH that leaves right field and first base for Naylor, Johnson, Bowers, who's out of options. Bobby Bradley, Jordan Luplo, uh, Nolan Jones eventually. Like, that's a lot of guys for two spots. And if we think Naylor's going to play close to every day because he doesn't, he hits lefties as well as he hits righties, well, that leaves one spot for a lot of guys. Yeah. So I'll say Naylor. I don't know what position he's going to play, but I think I can see him hitting fifth. I, I feel like the, the, if you're placing odds here, the best odds would be at first base, no? For Naylor? I think so, but... Like, what do you do with Jake Bowers? He's out of options. It's weird. I know, but, I mean, even if his his butt's on the bench and just being backup outfield first base DH, then however you find a way to get him at bats that way, okay. But I, I got to But then the who's playing right field? field? Who's playing right? Well, that's when we'll get to the bottom of the lineup. Uh, so I, I agree. Naylor would, would be fifth in my lineup. I would put him at first base. And from there, things get complicated based on who's playing shortstop for me. I think it's going to be Ahmed Rosario at the beginning of the year. I think he's going to get a, a chance to, to dig in there, to play some short before we see Jimenez. That's not set in stone. Maybe we see Jimenez at shortstop to begin the year, but I just don't think that's the most likely outcome as of right now. So if that's the case, if Rosario is playing shortstop, I'll take him sixth. Yeah, I agree. I, this is such a mess because... Yeah, it'd be great to have Andre Semenez on the opening day roster as your shortstop and shore up the defense there. But if you do that, then there's not a spot for Yu Chang. And I'm not saying that Yu Chang needs to stand in the way of anybody, but are you ever going to find out if any of these people can play? Like, and this is this is where it gets complicated because now you're going to ask me to say who's hitting seventh, and I don't know because here here's the thing: 26 man roster. I think it's safe to say they're going to go 13 pitchers, 13 position players. You know, they're, they're going to have two catchers. You know, they're going to have Rosario and Jose Ramirez and Ahmed Rosario, Cesar Hernandez, Framil Reyes, Josh Naylor. Okay, well, that, that doesn't leave you with very many spots. 
And so then you have to think, all right, well, if you've got Naylor at first, Reyes at DH, Eddie Rosario in left, who plays right? And if your answer, answer is Daniel Johnson, I think that's what it should be. Yeah. But there's not room for Daniel Johnson and Jake Bowers. Not if Jimenez is on the roster to begin the year. If he's not... There still isn't. If, unless... Because you have to have Luplo, too. Right. Luplo's going to be there. So, so Wait, who so, am I forgetting? If, if Bradley Zimmer. So Jimenez... Oh, true, there you go. Jimenez That's is the not, issue. Yeah. Jimenez is not on the roster. Then you could still have a bench of Hedges, Luplo, Bowers, Chang. But yeah, Zimmer is the one that I, I don't know. So And so here's the thing. I think what would make sense is if you started Zimmer in AAA. The guy hasn't played in like four years. He needs daily at-bats. He... He was probably hurt by not having a minor league season as much as anybody. Um, and, you know, if, if you're splitting time between Mercado and Zimmer, I don't know that you're necessarily learning about either guy enough. So I think a reasonable option would be start Zimmer at AAA, let Mercado play every day in the majors, and if you need a backup center fielder, you can maybe try Daniel Johnson there, maybe try Ahmed Rosario there. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know why, if in a pinch, I don't know why Daniel Johnson can't play center field. Right, so I think what that's what I would do. I don't know what the team's going to do, but that's also how you could get Daniel Johnson on the roster. The issue is, you put Daniel Johnson out there in right field, platoon him with Luplo, that's great. You want to play Eddie Rosario every day, you want to play Josh Naylor every day, you want to play Framel Reyes every day. But then, like, there is no point in Jake Bowers being on the, on the team. And I, I get that he's out of options, but, like, he's still not – you're not doing him a service. He's not helping you at all. If Just because he's out of options, yeah. he's riding the bench. That's true, so. but I don't think there's a scenario here where unless something just goes absolutely ter- horrifically awful in spring training for him that he doesn't make this team. Just based on the roster crunch of needing to keep his right. – his, himself on the team they, they need to give him some opportunity in a second year to do something for this team Otherwise, but that's that, why that trade even looks even worse giving sure. up yanni diaz is a money dump that, but that's why i think he gets the first crack at first base or right field because he's out of options and at least you can let him play for a month or two see if he's got anything and if it doesn't work you turn to daniel johnson or you turn to nolan jones and you move on but you can't, like, is he going to just occupy a bench spot forever and you're never going to learn whether he can play? It's a weird spot. Agreed. It's the same, same thing, too, with what we were talking about with pitching. You're going to have injuries, and sometimes the things you worry about in spring training get rectified just themselves. They just work themselves out, and it's weird how that often becomes the case. But as mm-hmm. we sit here now, you're right. I, I don't know what that's going to look like in I don't think it's going to be Bowers in right. Have we ever seen him in right field? So is it going to be Rosario over in right? Or you can play Bowers at first and Naylor in right. Naylor in right field? I mean, I I don't know. We'll we'll see. You know, I'm curious. Does Naylor continue with where his body was at last year? Does he come in looking more like a first baseman than he was uh, a left fielder? Because he did lose some weight between 19 and and 20. And what about his hair? To be able to play the corner outfield, so we'll see. Is his is his hair going to be flopping in the breeze, a la Anderson Verjao? I mean, that's a very important part of his game. I mean, we've seen we saw how wild he is on the bench. We saw him. What did he like? Punch Fran Reyes in the mouth when he was celebrating in San, <laughs> San Diego. I mean, he's a wild dude. You need that hair. 
<laughs> what? Uh, so, are, are we just acknowledging that the bottom of the lineup is just throw these names in a hat <laughs> every no, single I, day and <laughs> and see what pops out? Because now you're choosing between. If, if you go with, let's say it's Daniel Johnson in right field, and Rosario at shortstop, and Mercado in center field. And so, what what does the bottom of this lineup look like? It's. I think seven is your right fielder or slash first. I think seven is Johnson or Bowers. Eight is per, Roberto Perez, and nine is Oscar Mercado. Yeah, just from a balance standpoint, I could see that being the case. If not for the balance thing, I, I totally could see Johnson in the ninth spot. But you're right. From but a, think about how much this thing. lineup. Yeah, think about how much this lineup can change between April and September. Because you assume at some point Daniel Johnson is in there. You assume at some point Nolan Jones. I don't know how, but he'll he could factor into the equation. Jimenez can be up there. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of turnover that could be possible. I'm, I, don't, I think because of Cesar Hernandez's presence, that makes it tough for Tyler Freeman to, to crack through. What about Mike Freeman? Who oh, no. I mean, like, never. <laughs> I would never say never. <laughs> I, mean, if, if they, I mean, if they sign Michael Martinez to a minor league deal, then we all hit bingo. So who knows? Yeah, they, they liked having Michael Martinez around because he was like a coach on the field. Sure. I remember talking to Eric Gonzalez about that. He thought Michael Martinez was one of the, the biggest reasons why he was in the major leagues. You're just going to poo-poo that? With Mike Freeman, he could be another coach on the field. He's like your quarterback on the field. He's your free safety. <laughs> He's your captain. He's the guy that you need in left field hitting third. Or in the uh, bottom of the 10th inning of Game 7 of the World Series. Oh, boy. Yeah. Do you have a random Indian of the day speaking of Michael Martinez? I do, and the theme of this podcast has been relievers, so we're going with a reliever um, who was drafted by the second by the Philadelphia Phillies in the second round in the 2010 draft. He attended Ball State University. I didn't know that. He was a little bit before Zach Plesak attended that school. Pitched for the Indians in 2016. Made eight appearances, nine and a third innings, 12 hits, six runs, five earned, five walks, 12 strikeouts, two hit by pitches, one wild pitch. Wild pitch. A 482 Uh, ERA, but a 282 FIP. Like you last week, this is going to drive me nuts. Did did this person stick with the Phillies initially? (sighs) No, this person was released by the Phillies in 2015. And then the Indians scooped him up. But he did, did he play before in the major leagues? What I read to you is his only major league experience. Ah, okay. Wow. So nothing after either. He joined the Orioles, but never pitched for them. Majors or minors. What in the world? Uh, righty or lefty? Yes, one of those. He is a right-handed pitcher. Was a right-handed pitcher. Oh, man. Um, when you first said Phillies, I thought of Hobie Milner, but he never Hobie actually pitched. Hobie Milner? He never actually pitched for the Indians. He was a Rule yeah. 5 draft pick, but never made the team. I did not realize that this guy was a starter with the Phillies as he was coming up. Mm-hmm. I can't think of who would have been with the Phillies, and then 16 parts of that season are a blur. Is there anything that would give this guy away completely? Or is it still There are a couple things. Be, no, they're easy to forget. They're, I think you could say both. Um, oh, okay. 
<laughs> he's easily forgettable, but you'll know who it is. No, I think it's easy to forget because it was such a quick stint in Cleveland. Um, and that season, I don't think people were paying attention to the last reliever on the team. I think people were paying attention to the fact that they were about to make the playoffs for the first time in 9,000 years. And, and Trevor um, Bauer, selfishly, instead of giving some innings to relievers, he's coming in in relief and pitching five innings <laughs> in games to preserve winning streaks. I mean, come on. And he had a, he just, like, his career was very nondescript, except in 2016, he was really, really good in the minors and then got the call. And I always wanted, like, that, I, I was surprised that that was it for him. Yeah, it's weird. I, I can't think of who it is, though. Um, he had a smile that truly lit up the clubhouse. A really good dude. Ah, I know who this is. You said and, smile, and I got it. Yeah. And he made the... Uh, I get... People send me random Indians jersey sight, random jersey sightings all the time. Every year of him. The, the funny thing about him, and I think we made the joke, he, he wasn't on the team for a long time. Uh, but obviously it was long enough that he got invites to all the off-season stuff leading into 17. And he made sure like, he was, his, his face was right there. So you remember that Percy Garner was part of this team and that he was going to stick around and he's going to sign some autographs. And I'm Indians reliever Percy Garner. And then that was <laughs> it for him. We know, did, did he even get much? Did he get hurt? I'm trying to remember how, why he, he must faded have, away? He, yeah, he had a rough... His numbers look pretty rough for 2017 in the minors. Um, and I think he had some injury issues. Um, I just... I remember talking to him about... He was like a ki little kid watching the World Series. Yeah. And I remember him sharing just like... He was screaming when Rajay hit the home run. Um, and he has a new podcast out. 99 Miles an Hour with Percy Garner. I don't know that he ever threw 99, but that's a cool name. Um, he had Tristan McKenzie on recently, so a really, really good dude. And the other thing, the reason why I was kind of saying it would give it away is he's, he's an Ohio guy. He went to high school in Dover, grew up there, um, so had a ton of family when he, would, yeah. when he pitched in 2016. So good yeah, dude. I mean, we didn't, we didn't talk to him often, but I remember him being very pleasant and personable and a fun conversation. Um, we'll have yeah. to get him on a future episode, you know, a little cross-promotion. Ah, and see if he can actually get him to throw 99. If, if our podcast was based on mile per hour, what would it be, like 46 miles per hour with TJ? Well, I'll never forget the, uh, the time our buddy August Fagerstrom, formerly of Fangraphs and MLB.com, threw 148 miles an hour in the, uh, the what is that game called? <laughs> Speed pitch at yeah. the ballpark. Yeah, it was just set up. One day we're walking back after picking up some lunch. He picks up the baseball, fires it, and it says 146. How he didn't get a non-roster invite, <laughs> I have no idea. If Brian Shaw can get one, why not August? And remember, those things are never wrong. Never, so. never. Well, you can subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. And you can help support the podcast over at Anchor. And you can find us at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. And Zach, I will say on behalf of you as well of all the podcasts we've ever done this was the most recent the selby is godcast featuring zach meisel and tj zuppi is presented by our supporters at anchor 
To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.